Hey, Scrum listeners, this is Adam Riley, and this week's episode was recorded live at WGBH's sleek new studio at the Boston Public Library. We'll be there again on Monday, October 17th from 4 to 5 p.m. for a Suffolk County Register of Deeds debate, and we'd love to have you come by. But first, take a listen to our debate on ballot question four, which would legalize marijuana in Massachusetts featuring State Senator Jason Lewis and Rasan Hall of the ACLU of Massachusetts. This is the Scrum Podcast from WGBH News in Boston. I am Adam Riley. I'm a reporter at WGBH. I'm joined by Peter Kadzis, who is the web editor at GBH. Hello, Peter. Hello there. And we are here to talk about ballot question four, a proposal to legalize marijuana in Massachusetts. And we are joined by two distinguished guests. We have Rasan Hall, director of the Racial Justice Program at the ACLU of Massachusetts. Rasan, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Also, thank you for sticking around through this uh, fire alarm that we experienced. It's the downside, I guess, of these lush new WGBH studios at the Boston Public Library. So thank you for hovering and waiting. And uh, State Senator Jason Lewis, co-chair of the legislature's Public Health Committee, chair of the Special Senate Committee on Marijuana and a steering committee member of the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts. Did I get that right? You did. Which opposes legalization. Jason, thank you for being thank here. Thank you, Adam and Peter and Rasan. Good to be with you all. And thank you also for not running away when the alarm went off because you had to hang around a while too. Um, I want to start off by asking each of you to give me, and you can do it in whatever order you want, whoever wants to hop in first, feel free. I'm looking for the single best argument that you can make either for or against legalization. We can get to secondary and tertiary arguments as we continue our conversation here. But if someone said to you, what is the single most important reason either to vote yes or to vote no on question four, what would you tell them? And keep it to two minutes. I'm going to be keeping time. (laughs) Yeah, Peter's going to play the heavy. So uh, Rasan or Jason, hop right in. Uh, Sure. I think it's hard when you give me two minutes to have a single most important reason. But I think what question four does is creates a system of taxation, regulation, control, and accountability. Currently, marijuana, aside from medical marijuana, is available in an underground or a gray market. Uh, where people are exposed to and subject to a lack of regulations and a lack of safety. By taking it out of the gray market or the underground illegal economy and bringing it in to a normalized economy, there are ways to uh, regulate it, monitor it, make sure that there are safety mechanisms in uh, in place. And there's also revenue generation uh, that comes from it that can be reinvested into education, treatment, uh, and prevention. And uh, part of that also, and you know, I, I'm torn between what is the most important because as an advocate uh, that does racial justice work, uh, this is a significant way to reduce some of the racial disparities uh, that exist in the policing of uh, marijuana. You got to an awful lot, and I'm guessing maybe a minute and 45 seconds. I'm just trying to keep count. Maybe three separate reasons, but we will get to all of them as we continue talking. Uh, Jason Lewis, how about you? The most important reason to vote no on question four. Even if you're open to marijuana legalization, as, as I personally am, I would urge voters to vote no on this specific ballot proposal, question four. And that's because question four is written by and for the commercial, 
um, billion-dollar marijuana industry. And this is an industry that we've seen from Colorado and Washington puts their own profits ahead of the health and safety of our children and our communities. So specifically, um, this ballot question uh, authorizes the sale and the aggressive promotion through advertising, social media, celebrity endorsements of high-potency pot edibles. These are products that many people are not even familiar with, but present a particular risk to teenagers, young children, and pets. Uh, second, um, this specific ballot question does nothing to address the public safety hazard of people driving under the influence of marijuana. And in fact, we've seen fatalities from drug driving double in the state of Washington since legalization. And then third, this specific ballot question um, takes away control from our cities and towns and our homeowners. In Colorado, we've seen the number of pot shops um, exceed the number of Starbucks and McDonald's combined. And this ballot question would allow uh, uh, people to grow their own pot, uh, essentially a mini pot farm, which would lead to problems with property value crime, and would unfortunately feed a whole new illegal market, which is what we've seen in Colorado. Okay, I think you were at least as efficient as Rasan. You also Both got in three reasons efficient. to vote no, uh, as opposed to uh, three reasons for voting yes, like we got from Rasan. Since you have each offered such a detailed opening statement, I just want to give you a chance no, to... go ahead. Oh, okay. I just, I just want to give you a chance to push back briefly or to respond to what each other have said. Um, Jason, you heard Rasan raise concerns about the status quo and suggest the status quo needs to be changed. Rasan, you heard Jason voice concerns about this being an industry-backed proposal that would change the uh, untenable status quo you see in a negative way down the road. Um, would Would you guys like to engage each other with the points you've just made? Sure. I, so the the first part around the the large uh, marijuana or big marijuana as a corporate industry uh, backing these initiatives, I'd say that's pretty misleading. As far as the legislation that was drafted here in Massachusetts, you know, big marijuana wasn't behind that. They weren't at the table in the drafting process. Some of my colleagues at the ACLU were a part of the drafting process. Some of the people that I am uh, uh, know who have been doing advocacy in communities of color who have been uh, at the at, at the table in the drafting process. And, you know, to the extent that big marijuana is behind this, you know, I think there's a, a big marijuana industry that already exists, and that is drug cartels that are illegally selling uh, and manufacturing drugs. Uh, I think it's also important to note that who's opposed to this is big pharma. Uh, because they realize that the reduction in their sales margin from people who turn from opioids uh, to marijuana instead and uh, law enforcement as is at the table as a, a, an opponent of uh, passing this initiative. And the beer and wine industry is also uh, an opponent to advancing this legislation. So it's not just about large marijuana companies uh, being able to increase their profit margin uh, without any type of regulation or control. I think in regards uh, to the public safety hazards, you, you look at other states and crime rates have not skyrocketed. Uh, they remained relatively the same in many instances uh, have gone down. And then finally, uh, taking control uh, from, from cities uh, and towns, again, there is going to be a regulation and control uh, commission that is established that will look over what is happening at the implementation level at each um, uh, once it is implemented in the state. And so I think um, to, to put it in terms of, you know, what I like to call fear-mongering and saying that, you know, crime is going to skyrocket, um, people were 
going to be driving drugged when in reality I think those reports are a little misleading uh, because what tests are used currently test for the presence of marijuana in people's bloodstream, which can be in their bloodstream for up to four weeks, whereas we're not doing impairment testing to test to see whether, num- someone, whether or not someone was driving under the influence of, of marijuana. And we're not proponents of people driving drugs. We're opponents of that, and any, no one should be driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol or cold medicine, for that matter. Uh, Jason Lewis, you heard Rasan Hall say at the outset that this is a way to take a Uh, a gray market industry and bring it out into the open, regulate it, make it safer, generate revenue for the state of Massachusetts, and potentially eliminate uh, racial disparities when it comes to enforcement of current law. What's your response to the points he raised? Again, I'm not arguing that the status quo is is perfect by any means. If this was an initiative that allowed safe adult access to, um, to marijuana without commercializing it, without allowing for um, dangerous products like high-potency edibles, without allowing for television and radio advertising and billboards, without allowing aggressive promotion of this, without allowing pot shops you know, in all of our neighborhoods, and in, in other words, if it prioritized public health and safety over the interests of the industry, then, then, I, then I could, I and many of other members of the coalition, broadest, most, I think, unprecedented coalition we've ever seen that opposes question four would be okay. But let me just correct what uh, Rassan said, which is is really um, uh, misleading to voters. This ballot question, 24 pages long, was written uh, by the Marijuana Policy Project. It's essentially the same ballot initiative that's on um, on the ballot in California, Arizona, Maine, and a few other states. The Marijuana Policy Project is a national group. It's dominated by the marijuana industry, the CEOs of Dixie Elixirs, which makes strawberry lemonade uh, marijuana uh, drink sodas, by um, Arcview Investments, which is a company that makes its money um, investing in marijuana businesses. They're the ones who wrote this question, and it's written explicitly to serve their interests and not the interests of the health and safety of our communities, which is what we should be focused on. And that's why we have doctors, we have law enforcement, we have the business community, we have the Mass Municipal Association, we have addiction specialists and experts, we have the governor, the attorney general, all of our district attorneys, an unprecedented bipartisan group that has come out against question four. And they have different views on marijuana legalization conceptually, but all agree that this ballot question is wrong for Massachusetts. If, if this ballot question is so bad, why hasn't someone in the legislature moved a better proposal to legalize marijuana? So I Something get, that addresses all these concerns. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it has to be approved, but um, I would think that if there was legislation that had been pending, you know, uh, up on Beacon Hill, um, people would take the whole issue more seriously. By that, I mean they, they, they wouldn't necessarily have re- resorted to a ballot question. I mean, Jason Lewis, what do you so, say to that? Uh, so, uh, fair, very fair point, and I, and I would say two things to that, um, Peter. The first is that um, we are on the bleeding edge of marijuana legalization in this country. Uh, and, and, by the way, we're one of the only countries around the world, even. Um, it, marijuana remains illegal under federal law, which creates a whole lot of complications for states going down this road. Agreed. Massachusetts already has decriminalized marijuana in 2008, which means virtually no one is being arrested today for simply possessing and using it. And number two, we created a medical marijuana program in 2012. So we're already in the lead among the states when it comes to being um, open-minded around marijuana. 
marijuana policy. And then the second thing I would say is that's exactly why the state Senate formed the special Senate committee on marijuana more than a year and a half ago, because we knew that this is an issue we need to get smart on. We need to do our homework. And that's why we went to Colorado. And that's why we are getting prepared to deal with all these policy issues. Well, let me follow up with Rasan. Um, you mentioned medical marijuana. You know, let's consider the implementation of medical marijuana as a case study. You know, from your point of view, what's worked, what hasn't worked? The issuing of licenses for dispensaries and who's been able to have access to that, um, the distribution has also been a concern. And I think one of the those things have not worked, you say. Not in the ideal fashion. And I think another thing that stands in the way with medical marijuana is people having to sign up with the Department of Public Health to be on a registry. And so there are people who have privacy concerns for any number of reasons, whether or not it's uh, social shame or because they have a federal employer, that they wouldn't want to have their name listed as someone who is receiving medicinal marijuana. So I think that's a problem uh, that legalization can address. Just to be clear, by the way, that, that, that registry is completely confidential. So the DPH, the Department of Public Health, does not share that with anyone but, if you have a, a marijuana, but, medical but marijuana card. But just quickly, card. Senator, and then Adam, I'll, I'll give it back to you. What concerns you about the way the medical marijuana law has been implemented? Or do you have any concerns? Many things, actually. I, 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 we, Rasan and I would probably agree that it has not been implemented well. Um, we uh, struggled a lot in, in the um, initial period after the ballot in, uh, question passed. I think the Baker administration and the Department of Public Health have done a, a good job turning that around. Um, we now have dispensaries open across the state, but more need to still open. We now have 34,000 um, people that have gotten uh, medical marijuana cards, and that process has gotten better. And you know what? I think that's what we should stay focused on. We should stay focused on making sure the medical program is uh, uh, effective in everyone who has a legitimate health reason to get access to marijuana can get it in a convenient, affordable way. And that's what we should keep our focus on, not on commercializing marijuana I actually creating wanted, a marijuana industry in the state. Sorry to interrupt you, Jason. I wanted to make sure that we addressed a, a point that you raised just a moment ago when you said that now that we have uh, basically decriminalization of marijuana that's been implemented, that people are not being arrested and charged for its use. My hunch, and I could be wrong here, is that Rasan might have a different perspective, and I'm saying that in large part because of the report that you have sitting in front of you. Do you have the same take as Jason on what the impact of decriminalization has been, or do you have a different take? Uh, you know, my, my take is somewhat similar, but I think the, the point that I would draw out is that people are still being arrested. In 2014, there were 616 people that were arrested for possession of marijuana. Um, you know, citing sentencing commission statistics on people who have been convicted and served time is something different than people who are being arrested uh, for possession of marijuana. And if we stay in, uh, you know, the medical marijuana um, industry and with decriminalization, you're still subjecting hundreds of thousands of people who still use marijuana for a variety of purposes to be a part of an illegal market where they're purchasing marijuana illegally. And so that's a problem where we continue to criminalize people uh, who are using marijuana. And so there are still people being arrested and there are significant racial disparities in who's being arrested as well. Well, what's more important, the racial disparity or the arrests? When you say what's more important... No, I mean, in other words, which troubles you more? Which is, if from a from a societal point of view, what's the 
what's the, 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 the greater harm? I think, just to paraphrase what Peter is asking, he may be asking, would you have a concern about the arrests that are taking place if, in fact, they were being conducted in a racially equitable manner? Is that a no, that wasn't my question, but that, that, that'll do. I was working up to that. All right. But um, I, 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 it, it's hard for me to, um, you know, uh, pick one of those issues because I think the significance of arrests, particularly for poor people and poor people of color, uh, are oftentimes understated. Just because someone does not get convicted or serve time for an offense doesn't mean that having uh, been arrested doesn't have a deleterious effect on their lives because they're potentially held on bail. They can potentially miss showing up for work and losing uh, lose a job or cannot be able to pick up a child from school because they've been arrested and detained, and that's problematic. But as a black man in America and as a civil rights advocate who who is concerned about racial justice issues, I cannot turn a blind eye to those racial disparities in the arrests. And so there have been a significant there has been a significant reduction in the numbers of arrests for people for simple possession uh, of marijuana, which is important and significant, but the disparity has increased and that's problematic. Senator, why should we be since marijuana has been decriminalized, why is anyone being arrested for it? Well Let me say first that I think that racial disparities and racial discrimination is a terrible stain on our criminal justice system. And I'm committed to working for criminal justice reform in Massachusetts, including sentencing reforms, bail reforms, restorative justice, and other areas. But as much as I respect the work of the ACLU, and I've worked with them on numerous pieces of legislation, I think, unfortunately, they and the proponents are misguided in thinking that question four is any kind of solution to racial disparities uh, in in the state. And that's because, um, as I said, first of all, there is virtually no one who's being arrested for simply for possession. Remember, up to an ounce of marijuana is decriminalized, which means that that's not an arrestable offense. Second, um, even if you pass ballot question four, um, many uh, activities would remain illegal. For example, you couldn't uh, sell or distribute to a minor. You would not be able to use marijuana in public. You couldn't possess more than an ounce. You couldn't drive well under the influence. So all of those would still be offenses you could be fined or arrested for. And in fact, in Colorado, what we've seen is the disparities in arrest rates for those offenses have actually increased. So fewer whites are being arrested and more African-Americans and Latinos. So it's in fact, if anything, it's made the disparities in arrests worse. And second argument I would make in why this is misguided is because when you create a commercial predatory industry, they are on, sadly, we've seen this with the tobacco industry, we've seen this with the alcohol industry, they tend to target um, more vulnerable communities, they tend to target um, communities of color and poorer communities, that's where they put their businesses, that's where they put their stores, that's where they put their marijuana grow operations, we've seen this in Denver and other places, and if anything, you know, that makes, makes things worse. So, again, I'm all for addressing disparities in our criminal justice dis- system. We absolutely have to. But this ballot question four is not the way to do that. I'd like to push back on that, though, because one of the distinctions between Massachusetts and Colorado is Colorado continued to criminalize conduct for people for possession for people under 21 years old. We would not do that. See, we have a system now where people are given a civil uh, infraction and for juveniles, there is a parental notification. And so, of course, those disparities are going up when police still have as a law enforcement tool the power of arrest. And that's why those uh, disparities continue to uh, skyrocket. 
docket. Another thing that this ballot initiative does is creates a cannabis control uh, commission. And one of the char- the tasks of that commission is to take a racial justice lens or an equitable approach to making sure that there is some reinvestment in communities that have been historically and disproportionately impacted by the failed war on drugs. And those are communities of color. And we have the opportunity to learn from other states and learn from what's happened in Colorado and take the revenue and make sure that it is invested in treatment and education and prevention. And we can use uh, the commission to regulate and control the type of advertising so we know what's happened in other places so it's not allowed to be as predatory as it's been in other places. I want to ask you both about a question that seems to me really fundamental to this whole debate, and I'd love to get each of you to give me your take on it. Other than the fact that marijuana is currently illegal and alcohol is legal, is there anything fundamentally different about me going home and having a beer after work today? And me, I'm not going to do this, but there are people who do, uh, me going home and smoking a joint. Or is the current illegality of marijuana and legality of alcohol the sole difference between those two activities? That's the sole difference. So as substances, marijuana and alcohol, while they may have effects that are not the same, you don't see them as sort of fundamentally two different types of chemical substances. Fundamentally, you know, you can argue that alcohol has far greater negative impacts on people's lives. You see the number of uh, fatalities related to driving. Um, You see the level of addiction that people are subject to with uh, alcohol as opposed to uh, marijuana. But the the act or the... um, um, kind of the culture around casual or recreational use is the same. Jason, what do you think of that? So my, my view on this is simply that, um, you know, alcohol and, and tobacco, I would add, are, are, are legal and have been for a long time. And, and no one's arguing that we're going to be going back to prohibition for that, those substances. That's not, not realistic. But those substances take an enormous toll on, on our communities and on our society and on our health. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars a year um, in, 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 loss, in healthcare costs from tobacco and alcohol, in public safety costs, in lost productivity for work. They take a huge toll on our society. So my question to the voters would be, why go down the same path with marijuana? Why would you... Com- not just legalize it, that's not the, what we're debating, it's commercializing it. Why would you now create a big marijuana industry that is going to try to do the same things the tobacco industry has done and the alcohol industry to have a profit motive to increase consumption? And, you know, this is not speculative. We're seeing this today in Colorado and Washington as the industry grows and targets uh, young adults and teens with enticing products and advertising and social media. And we've been down this road before. We know where this, where this leads. Quick follow-up question, and I'll let Peter get a a question in here. There has been discussion as this debate has played out, I mean our debate here today, but this conversation about legalization has played out, over whether marijuana is a gateway drug that will lead people to opioid use, especially because we're talking so much about that as a public health challenge right now, or whether it is unconnected to opioid abuse and maybe even has sort of a gatekeeper as opposed to a gateway effect function. Uh, what do you two think about that? 
So, you know, this notion of uh, marijuana being a gateway drug uh, has been debunked by a couple of uh, studies. I think it's also, you know, to the extent that we consider it a gateway drug, it's because people who are purchasing marijuana from illegal sources are subject to uh, individuals who are selling not only marijuana, but they're selling heroin, they're selling crack cocaine. And so if they don't have any weed on them, they'll say, here's something else uh, that I can sell you. And so, you know, I think it's bad science to say marijuana is a gateway drug. I mean, milk is a gateway to obesity. So there's no direct correlation like that. I think it's problematic to put that out there. There's a lot of fear mongering around uh, around that, uh, that people easily buy into, particularly when they're not familiar uh, with with marijuana and Jason Lewis, where do you come down on the um, sure? The first thing I would say is I think that there are um, studies, good good academic research studies that uh, kind of come down on both sides on this. Um, uh, so it is, I think, uh, unclear. Uh, second, um, I would say is the the marijuana today that's being sold in Colorado and that this ballot question would authorize here is vastly different from the pot of the 1960s, 70s, or 80s. It's 10 times more potent. You know, you can eat it, you can drink it, you can vape it, you can dab it. So the health research on that type of marijuana is still not there yet. And I think the early studies do indicate that we should. it's much greater cause for concern. The third point I would make is even if you don't uh, believe marijuana is a gateway drug, um, it's undeniable that marijuana uh, itself has a very harmful impact on the developing brain. So if you're 13, 14, 15 year old, year, years old, even up to your early 20s, the medical evidence on this is absolutely clear that it Im- impacts brain development, hurts your cognitive development, uh, increases the risk of mental illness, and is addictive for one in six uh, teens who start using marijuana. So there's every reason to not want to see increased consumption or commercialization of, of marijuana, regardless of what your views are on whether this is a gateway drug or not. Well, you, you raised the issue of potency, which was somewhere I wanted to go. Um, I, the way I've read the ballot question, there's nothing that regulates how potent the, the marijuana can can or cannot be. Am I wrong on that? You're, a, you're absolutely right. This is another area where the, the ballot question explicitly um, authorizes uh, marijuana of any potency. And you know, there's a simple reason why this ballot question doesn't write in limits on potency. By the way, in the Netherlands, which has been pretty permissive around marijuana for a long time, they consider potency above 15% THC to be a hard drug. And they differentiate between, between that and, and, a, and a soft drug, which is less than 15%. And we've seen marijuana products like edibles today that are approaching 90%, 100% t- THC. So it's a vastly different drug. The reason the ballot question, I think, doesn't introduce any limits on potency is because that's where the industry is making their money today. More than 50% of the, the pr- sales and profits in Colorado come from high-potency pot edibles. So that's the future of the business. They, the, biz- the industry doesn't want to see any limits on potency. And so, again, we have the opportunity to learn from other jurisdictions where it has been implemented. And we can also take the revenue that has been generated from sales, from taxing it, and reinvest it in education, treatment, and prevention. Colorado generated $135 million in revenue uh, in 2014. And so all of that being used to reinvest in treatment, prevention, uh, and education. So I really need to address that because that's extremely misleading. The proponents always like to cite that number from Colorado. 
the tax rate in this ballot question is about a half to a third of what the tax rate is in Colorado or Washington state. And we don't tax medical marijuana, which they do in those states. So the revenues that we would see in Massachusetts would be uh, a fraction of what they're seeing in Colorado. And the uh, special Senate committee's analysis was that that might not even cover the direct regulatory legal and enforcement and public safety costs that we would incur in the state. I want to take issue. This isn't a question. It's it's a statement and feel feel free to uh, dispute what I say. I mean, the very idea of using this money to, you know, say, oh, we're going to have funds available to educate people just strikes me as crazy, especially as the, the father of three young men. And now, watching them going through high school in their friends, um, there's a, a huge problem with teenage drinking today, especially in the suburbs. I think more in the suburbs than in the city. Um, but wherever the problem is, it's large. All the education programs in, in high schools, I think, are worth zilch. Um, how can we, I don't see how anyone can keep a straight face and in, in say that um, it's not going to be easier for kids to, to get their hands on legal marijuana well, it, it's currently, than illegal. But it's currently easier for kids to get their hands on illegal marijuana. It's and the, it, studies have shown that they're more able to get access to illegal marijuana than they are to get access to legal alcohol. And as far as the education piece, the number of anti-tobacco and anti-smoking commercials that we've seen has increased over the year, and that is revenue that is coming from uh, the tobacco companies. And the, the levels of Smoking, particularly among young people, has gone down dramatically. And so there is legitimacy uh, in that argument around education and around regulation and control. Yeah, we've I, had to I, spend I just, billions of dollars see, to get I would out. suggest that it's not the ads. Um, and, and there may be numbers. But I think it's social pressure. Mm-hmm. Smoking is not as and, socially acceptable, and, and, and it once the, was. And just the opposite with marijuana. Unfortunately, we've seen teen attitudes toward marijuana as smoke. As you're right, Peter, as teens view smoking as, as an ugly habit they shouldn't do, exactly the opposite is how they perceive uh, marijuana. And you know what? They, 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 they use alcohol at a much higher rate than marijuana today. So the notion that if you, you know, have it in the, le- quote, legal market, they won't get access to it is nonsense. They get more easier access to alcohol. So what we would see is that Teens would not only get it from the uh, legal market, like they get alcohol, they would still get it from the illegal market because that doesn't go away when you do this. In Colorado, it's thriving. And not only that, you'd now have people growing marijuana plants in their homes, which would uh, provide another source of pot for, uh, for teens uh, as well. So if anything, we, it's pretty clear this will make the problem worse. But studies in Colorado have also shown the Colorado's Department of Public Health Healthy Kids studies have shown that youth usage rates have stayed the same. And so with legalization coming into fruition in Colorado, the argument that you're putting forward would be having youth usage rates going through the roof, but they haven't. And the largest study that was done nationwide was by the Colorado Department of Public Health, and they showed that the rates have stayed the same. So actually, um, the federal data, which looks consistently at all states, has shown a 12% increase in teen use in Colorado. It shows that Colorado is now the highest, has the highest rate of teen marijuana use of any state in the country. 
And by the way, at the same time, Colorado is also among the, t- the top in um, uh, alcohol use and opioid use in the nation as well. So it's not like marijuana has substituted for those substances. And, um, you know, I just say to the voters, you know, use, please use your common sense. If you commercialize this, if you make it available in every neighborhood, if you have billboards and social media everywhere and advertisements for, for pot, you know, what do you think is going to happen over time? Maybe it's not going to happen overnight, but over time, what's going to happen to teen and young adult use of pot? And about that study, that it had a much smaller sample size in, of uh, people in Colorado. and that This increased, is the federal study. The federal study, right. It had a much smaller sample size, and it was that 12% was well within the margin uh, of error. And, uh, of error. and uh, you know, this proposal isn't allowing for billboards and advertising okay. in communities where people are more vulnerable. Actually, it does. The ballot question doesn't say anything about not allowing any kind of advertising. Rasan, is that right? This is this is one of those cases where sometimes it's hard to find consensus, but uh, it right. seems and like so there's the, a clear answer and here. And so one there's way an opportunity for control of that through the Cannabis Control Commission. And, and you know what? That's the proponent's answer on everything: is the cannabis so-called Cannabis Control Commission will take care of it. Trust us, and I don't trust that because that commission will have not necessarily have any public health expertise or any public safety expertise. It's not like the Department of Public Health. They will be advised by the so-called Cannabis Advisory Board the majority of whose members have to come from the industry. They have to have industry experience. So you'll have the fox guarding the hen house. That is no prescription for protecting public health and safety. The only time the voters have control over what will and won't happen in the state is when they vote on November 8th. This is a a ton of good stuff for listeners to get to chew over. And I want to wrap up in just a moment by giving you each a chance to ask a question of your counterpart. But before we do that... um, Jason, I have to ask you a question since you are a state senator and the co-chair of the uh, legislature's public health committee, chair of the Senate Committee on Marijuana. If this ballot question is defeated, do you expect the legislature to put forth a proposal for what you see as more responsible legalization in the near future or not? There is no question that this this conversation is well underway and it's not going to to end here. I do give the proponents credit for really putting this uh, conversation you know forward in the, in the public mind. The debate we're having today and others like it is very very important and helpful. The special senate committee you know, produced a 118-page report, which you can visit online, and we've looked at all the policy issues. So this, this discussion, I have no doubt, will, will continue uh, and will move forward in Massachusetts and will continue to learn from, as we should, from Colorado and Washington, and we should make sure that we do things right here in Massachusetts. Rasan, do you, and I know it's not an outcome you want to envision, but if, in fact, this ballot question doesn't pass, do you have faith that the legislature will take action? Uh, I think they will, um, but what that looks like uh, is concerning to me. I mean, the fact that there was a, uh, a, a fundraising dinner hosted by opponents of this, uh, the host committee included an exclusively white group of individuals, predominantly law enforcement, um, to say that this is a bad thing, where we know that the racial disparities that exist in criminal justice enforcement of current uh, prohibition are, are very problematic. And so to say that these same individuals are going to then put forward legislation that's going to address some of these things uh, is concerning to me. Yeah, I wouldn't hang by my toenails waiting for the legislature. Um, I, I have no doubt that some legislators will try to push forward here. But um, the, the track record of Beacon Hill and being able to read what people really want in, like, 
maybe gently go in that direction just suggests it won't happen. I mean, that, that's my cynical and perhaps resigned point of view. But I can picture legislators, you know, doing the right thing. Well, what I would say, you know, look, it is a complicated issue. We've talked about some of the policy issues in this debate, but there's a lot more. But, you know, what I would say to the advocates is they need to engage with the legislature. And, you know, all the stakeholders need to be at the table. Unlike when this ballot question was written, the industry was at the table. Um, but, you know, you didn't have addiction uh, uh, experts at the table. You didn't, didn't have law enforcement at the table. You didn't, you didn't have construction uh, industry at the table. You didn't have local selectmen and mayors at the table. That's the way you need to do this policy right. You need to have everybody at the table, all the stakeholders. And that's what we would do through the legislature. So like I said, I'd love to get each of you to uh, ask a question of your counterpart, maybe involving something that's already come up, maybe involving an aspect of this that we haven't yet tackled. Uh, and let's see, I'm going to make this real scientific. Rasan, what, uh, what number am I, uh, one or two, what number am I holding under my blazer? Two. The number is one. Ah. So Jason gets to decide <laughs> if he hey, is, uh, On that uh, scientific method. Yes, there we go. Um, um, I guess what something we haven't really talked about that much, you know, we've talked about uh, edibles and we've talked a bit about the con- la- loss of control for our homeowners and our communities under this ballot question. But, you know, one of the other areas I'm particularly concerned about, and I think the public should be, is, um, is people driving under the influence of marijuana. And we already have a big problem on our roads with drunk driving. You know, we've worked very hard to try to address that issue. The problem with marijuana, uh, Rasan, and the question I'd have to you is, we don't have today an equivalent to a breathalyzer test. So there's no way to easily detect the presence of THC in somebody's uh, system, you know, when they're pulled over for driving erratically or, or for, you know, a police officer thinks there's some, there's some um, danger to safety. And number two, we don't have a legal standard for prosecuting someone like we do for alcohol, where it's 0.08. We don't have anything like that for marijuana. So how can we responsibly go forward with this when we don't have a way to detect THC in a driver's blood and we don't have a way to hold people accountable? Well, I think the accountability comes through impairment testing. And impairment testing is a reliable source when you're looking at people who are under the influence of any substance and determine whether or not their ability to drive is impaired. Certainly there's not uh, a breathalyzer test uh, uh, that's been used in alcohol cases, but there are still ways to test people uh, who have been driving under the influence uh, of alcohol by doing impairment testing. And so I think that is the methodology uh, that would be used and applied in this instance. Rasan, how, how might that work? Because I've heard that phrase used, but I don't actually know what it entails. If someone's impairment tested for possible uh, you know, excessive use of marijuana uh, while driving, what, what would the test right, be Right, like? it's the, the same, the coordination test, um, walking a straight line, p- p- placing your finger to your nose. But I think of that sort of thing as, as preceding a breathalyzer test frequently. People are put through the the coordination testing, and then the officer says, all right, I, I am pretty sure that you're driving drunk, you're driving over the legal limit when it comes to alcohol use. I want you to blow into this device, and we'll scientifically determine whether or not you are impaired. So let's say that someone shows signs of impairment who has been smoking marijuana. Then what would the next step be for law enforcement? Right, and at this point, I'm not aware of any tests that are available that would be able to test similarly to uh, a breathalyzer test. Okay. And Hence you the concern. Have- do you have a question that you would like to run by Jason before we wrap up here? Sure. And so you talked about, um, uh, you know, 
being in favor of uh, a better uh, model for legalization as opposed to uh, commercialization, uh, but how long should we allow communities, particularly communities of color, to be criminalized because they are over-policed and police use uh, marijuana arrests? Again, there are 616 marijuana arrests in 2014 uh, to pursue criminal investigations. How much longer should we allow that to exist? So, um, again, while I have a lot of respect for the ACLU, and I've already stated I, I, I think that racial disparities in general in our criminal justice system are, are, are a terrible stain and a problem, I don't agree with the premise that that, that is the issue today relative to marijuana possession in Massachusetts. Uh, firstly, all of the data reviewed by, over a year-long period by the Special Senate Committee indicated uh, that there is um, virtually no one who's arrested today for just um, possessing uh, or using marijuana. The statistics that the ACLU has put forward recently, um, there's n- we don't know whether those were people arrested for other crimes and then in addition to a marijuana offense. They could have been arrested for a, uh, um, an arms, uh, a uh, weapons charge. They could have been arrested for certain kinds of sexual assaults um, and other charges, and then the marijuana was added on. So we, d- we don't know that. The more important point, again, though, is that this specific ballot question, which is what we're going to be voting on November 8th, we're not voting on legalization conceptually, we have seen that commercializing marijuana um, in Colorado, and we would expect the same thing here, has actually increased, not decreased, racial disparities because, again, many, many different things would remain, continue to be crimes, um, like possessing more than an ounce, like distributing to a minor, like driving under the influence. And furthermore, a commercial industry, pot industry, just like the tobacco industry before it, um, sadly is going to target uh, vulnerable communities. That's where they locate their pot shops in, in Denver. Uh, that's where they, a lot of their grow operations are. And um, that makes you know, health disparities and racial disparities worse, not better. Rasan, you had wanted to push back there, I know. Yeah, the UCR, uh, Uniform Criminal Reporting, uh, separates out in files by lead charge. So somebody who is arrested for possession of a firearm, that's a more serious crime. That's going to be the lead charge, and they're not going to list the marijuana. So it's not misleading to say that there were 616 arrests for marijuana because that's the lead charge. Well, All right. I want to give the last word here to Peter Kadzis. Peter, you are a wise man of Massachusetts politics. I'm wondering when you look at this particular ballot question and you look at the case that proponents and opponents are making, uh, what do you see? I see a a very complicated situation. I I think it's something um, much more complicated than charter schools, which in and of themselves are a huge complication. And um, I don't think the public at large has a sense of how, um, how commercialized this is. What I do have a clear sense of is people in Massachusetts, um, I think in general, have a very liberal attitude towards what should happen with cannabis. And I, I think that um, if this passes, it'll be because the the political establishment uh, has been so hidebound that it hasn't been able to find a middle way between, you know, the, the commercial and, and what the population thinks. I, I, I guess I'm presupposing my, my comments on that, you know, my hunch that this is going to pass. Which is not, by the way, an official Scrum or WGBH News endorsement of the it's question. We God. are completely agnostic. <laughs> 
Um, Peter Kadz's thanks and huge thanks to our guests, Rasan Hall, director of the Racial Justice Program at the ACLU of Massachusetts. Really appreciate you coming in. And State Senator Jason Lewis, co-chair of the Legislature's Public Health Committee, chair of the Special Senate Committee on Marijuana, and steering committee member of the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts. Thanks to you as well. Thank you. Thank My you. pleasure. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, guys. Thank And that is going to do it for this episode of The Scrum. Big thanks to Rasan Hall of the ACLU of Massachusetts and State Senator Jason Lewis for joining us to talk marijuana legalization. And thanks to you for listening. This coming Monday, October 17th, we're going to be hosting another debate for what Peter Kadzis has dubbed the coolest contest in the Commonwealth. I'm talking, of course, about the race to become Suffolk County Register of Deeds. We'll have the various candidates there, and we'll be joined by a special guest, WGBH News' State House correspondent, Mike Dean. Tape time is 4 p.m. That's next Monday, October 17th, in the new WGBH News studios at the Boston Public Library. If you can make it, you should come by. You can always find us on iTunes, where you should subscribe to The Scrum if you haven't already, and online at blogs.wgbh.org scrum. You can also find Peter and me on Twitter. He's at Kadzis. I'm at Riley Adam. And you can email us at scrum at wgbh.org. Our producer today was Jason Tereski. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. (laughs) 